Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Every Square Inch. My name is Robert Cunningham. If you're new to the podcast, this serves as an outlet for my public thoughts. I don't think it's appropriate for me to use the pulpit on Sunday mornings as a platform for that, but I do think the idea of Christian ministers adding their voice to the public square is an important part of societal life, and so this is my attempt to do that. We have been in a series of follow-up podcasts to a conference I led on human sexuality and gender, answering some questions and going deeper than I was able to do at the conference. And this will be the last of those before I move on to uh, different cultural issues. And in this one, I'm going to answer two questions with one podcast. One of those is for my married friends, and one of those is for my single friends, and I'll take them in that order. So for the married folks... A big question that I didn't get into in the conference was the role of contraception when it comes to a theology of sex. You will recall that when I laid out the theology, uh, conception is a huge part of the story of Eros. And this is why Catholic friends who might listen to my interpretation of John Paul's theology of the body would be furious at me for not condemning contraception. Now, admittedly, what I've tried to offer is a Protestant take on John Paul's work. I gave myself the freedom to chew on the meat of his theology and spit out the bones, so to speak. And the most controversial bone I spit out was the issue of contraception. Those familiar with theology of body know that John Paul and more recently Christopher West, who has kind of popularized his theology for the Catholics, both would say the entire theology falls apart when you bring contraception into it. I didn't want the conference to get derailed by that objection, so let me engage it a little bit here. There is a healthy critique for Protestants found in the Catholic teachings on sex and procreation. It is true that in many ways uh, we Protestants have adopted a worldly perspective of sex inside marriage as existing exclusively for the pleasure of spouses. So in the best case scenario, sex is viewed as a good gift of God to be enjoyed rightly, that builds intimacy within marriage and so forth. Now, in the worst case scenario, we have pornified sex in marriage, and it remains a lustful exchange, much like our culture of casual sex. For some Christians, the only difference is the ones who are lustfully taking from each other just happen to be married. Well, in both cases, the best case scenario and worst case scenario, the problem is sex is viewed as an end in itself. And in this way, Protestants tend to bifurcate sex from procreation through contraception. It is not uncommon for Protestants to have a childless marriage of their own choosing. Here, the Catholic critique is appropriate. A robust theology of sex must include the glory of procreation. You cannot separate the two. However, I simply disagree with the Catholic position that sex must always be open to procreation to be valid. The original command to be fruitful and multiply was not a command given as an end in itself, meaning just have as many babies as possible. Instead, be fruitful and multiply needs to be interpreted by the rest of the verse. So let me, let me give you the rest of the verse. So it says, God blessed them and and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he says, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, every living thing that moves on earth. So it's not just fill the earth. 
It's fill the earth in order to subdue the earth. Dominion is the purpose of multiplication. Now, after the fall, that dominion has turned into dominance, but that wasn't the original idea. Dominion was designed to be God's authority on earth, blessing all of creation with the loving authority of its loving creator. Dominion was to lead to flourishing. So now, post-fall, that creation mandate is to be viewed as a redemptive project, re-subduing creation with the loving dominion of God. But the point I'm making is the command to be fruitful and multiply has been given a telos, and that telos is creation's good. Nothing is better for the world than to have babies, train them to love God and neighbor, and send them forth as the next generation ambassadors of God's redemption. And so what this means as it pertains to procreation is Christians must consider both quantity and quality. So really what I'm saying is it comes down to discipleship capacity, and this can look different for every family. Each family needs to be thoughtful and consider their ability to nurture and disciple the next generation of those who will subdue the earth for the good of the earth. So finances, life stage, emotional, mental, physical health, vocational calling, so many factors that come into play in making that decision. So consider our family. Abby and I have four sons, ages 13, well, actually, happy birthday, Holt. He's now 14. So 14, 11, 9, and 5. We believe if you were to throw another baby into our household right now, it would dramatically impact the discipleship of these boys. They need a level of attention, especially in their approaching teenage years, that we simply could not provide if we kept having kids. We've talked about fostering and perhaps even adoption when they grow up, but right now, we believe we are at our limit when it comes to our ability to provide, care, disciple our children. And so, yes, I feel it is very appropriate for parents to use contraception to time their discipleship. And then the old snip snip when they feel like they are at their uh, limit. And here's what's so ironic. Catholics agree with me. Now, if you're a Catholic who takes the teachings of your church seriously, you would say, I absolutely do not agree with you. But here is where I would like to offer a humble challenge to Catholics who seek to embody theology of the body. Is what I'm saying any different than the heart behind natural family planning? Not the mechanics of it, but the heart behind it. Under Pope Paul VI, the Catholic Church declared natural family planning to avoid procreation is morally acceptable. Now, this is a pivot from its historic teachings. Augustine famously argued strongly against the evils of natural family planning as a form of contraception. But the Catholic Church has agreed, despite its long tradition, that family planning is morally acceptable. So Catholics are with me in principle. If theology of the body falls apart without an openness to procreation, then to be consistent, Catholics should return to an Augustinian view of natural family planning. In fact, I'll go further. If theology of the body requires openness to conception, then we should practice the opposite of natural family planning. We should always time sex when the female body is at peak fertility. But that's not the practice of the Catholic Church. And so the only difference here, from an ethical standpoint, 
is that I'm willing to make use of modern advancements in contraception. Can those advancements be misused to avoid the be fruitful and multiply mandate? Of course. And this is where I believe Catholics have a good critique for Protestants. But I disagree that the entire theology of sex comes undone when contraception is used. If so, then even that practice of natural family planning should be abandoned because the intent is the same. So here's what I tell Christian parents who ask my opinion in this area. It is not my role to bind your conscience. This is an area of Christian liberty. But my advice is to have as many children as you are able to disciple well. So that's my answer to the contraception question. Now, switching gears to another important question. What does theology of the body have to say to unmarried Christians? I did hit on this a bit in the conference, but there was a real desire for more. So I have laid out this beautiful story of sacred eros, that gender and sex are at the center of God's creation and redemption. Understandably, my single friends, who are already unfairly stigmatized in evangelicalism, are left feeling excluded at best or downright shamed at worst. Okay, here's my word to you. Far from being excluded from a theology of the body, my celibate friends are the very heroes of the story. Let me show you what I mean. If you recall when I laid out the theology, the greatest twist in the story of erotic love is that Jesus enters the story as a bridegroom to win his bride, the church. This is why there will be no marriage or giving of marriage in the age to come. The image will give way to the substance. The icon will give way to that which the icon has always pointed. As we ourselves, through our marriage to Christ the bridegroom, will join the eternal exchange of love that the Trinity has forever enjoyed. Perfect love, perfect bliss, rapture forevermore. This is our destiny. And it is a destiny that far surpasses the foretaste of erotic love between husband and wife. Well, it's the celibate life, more so than even the married life, that proclaims to us this full and final destiny of the story. Marriage may be a picture of the gospel, but single friends, it is your life that is the picture of the reward of the gospel, because you are quite literally saving yourself for Jesus, saving yourself for that final reward. And we need your testimony so desperately. It's only the married who ask, will we get to be married in heaven? The single respond, what a stupid question. And we need that rebuke because it is a stupid question. We need to remember that Eros is not ultimately fulfilled in our marriages, but in our marriage to heaven's bridegroom. I don't know what God has for you. Perhaps he wants you to get married someday. But what I want you to know is that if so, your marriage is not taking on a higher calling. You are living that higher calling as we speak. You are telling the world, and oh how important this is in our age of disordered, um, erotic idolatry. You are telling our world that the ultimate fulfillment of erotic love is found in marriage to Jesus. Now, I'm not pretending it's an easy path. But I at least want you to see it as a noble path. You are proclaiming to all of us in marriage that it's not ultimately about our marriage. Every single one of my single friends 
is a constant reminder that Abby is not my ultimate reward. It's not about my marriage to Abby. It's about the marriage that is to come, which my marriage to Abby points. And nobody will celebrate the marriage that is to come, that marriage supper of the Lamb, more than those who fasted from the icon to savor the fulfillment. You are a testimony singular in its power. You have a calling singular in its nobility. And while he has you here, I hope you embrace how important you are to this story of erotic love. Now to do that, you're going to have to renounce a lie that has been fed to you by our culture and sadly by Christianity. And it's this, you need a spouse to be complete. So the camera zooms in on Tom Cruise with tears in his eyes staring down Renee Zellweger. He delivers that iconic line, you complete me. Makes for a great ending to a movie and a horrific way to live your life. But evangelicalism has only reinforced the you complete me lie. For the most part, there's not much written on singleness, but much of what is written includes a theological error that throws the whole thing off. And the error is that the married life is the complete life. Take, for instance, the Christian book on singleness that every sister in Christ from my generation consumed, Lady and Waiting. If you're younger, you've probably never heard of it, and let's keep it that way. But there have been millions of copies sold, and it shaped the narrative of singleness in a way that still lingers. And embedded within it is a fatal flaw. Lady and Waiting for what? Waiting for what? The subtitle tells us. Becoming God's best while waiting for Mr. Right. Mr. Right is what you're waiting for, and therein lies the flaw. If the what of your wait is a spouse, then marriage has been exalted to an unhealthy pedestal of wholeness, turning what was given as an icon into an idol. But the way to break free from that idolatry is not to shame your longing for completeness. You see, the you complete me mentality is a lie, but only a partial lie. The erotic within you is crying out to find its completion through union with another. It is undeniable and irrepressible within you. But you, you have been asked by Christian purity culture to do just that, to deny it, to suppress it. But you can't. You cannot turn off eros. And to try to do so will make for a miserable existence. Theology of the body is not asking you to do that. It's asking you to extend your longings beyond. It's not asking you to deny your hunger. It's asking you to fast from the foretaste that you may savor the substance. God will not withhold from you the answer to your longing for completeness. No, instead, after this tiny blip of celibacy awaits an eternity of rapture. And do you know who can relate? The bridegroom himself. You are sharing in the sufferings of Jesus in a way I cannot relate. He is saving himself for his bride. Now again, for the thousandth time, let's not sexualize the Trinity. 
Sex was given as a sign of what is to come, and what is to come is much better than sex, so don't project sex onto the fulfillment. Earthly marriage and sex pale in comparison to the eternal ecstasy that awaits. And no one is going to enjoy that more than those who save themselves for what is to come. So again, who knows what God has for you? He may call you to forsake celibacy for the calling of marriage. But while you are single, don't give up on your longings. Certainly don't shame your longings. Instead, extend your longings into eternity with full and confident resolve that your eros will be satisfied forevermore. Okay, I think that is enough talk on sex. Thank you for your attention through all these episodes. Thanks, as always, for listening. Share it, rate it, review it, all that good stuff. And we will move on from this topic into other issues on the next episode of Every Square Inch. Mm